Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I am your host, Duncan McPherson with Pareto Systems. And on this podcast, our objective is to constantly enable our audience, which are high caliber fee-for-service professionals, to always be working on their business and on themselves personally and professionally. And to that end, today's podcast, I had a great conversation with a legend of the financial services industry. That's Bill Sowell. Bill is the CEO at Sowell Management. And in this episode, we discuss many things, including the distinction between salesmanship and stewardship and the shift from a B2C organic growth model to a franchise-ready B2B scaling up model which is a tremendous opportunity, incidentally. If you like this podcast, please like and share and tell your colleagues. And if you have any ideas for themes and guests down the road, just let us know. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're ready to get started. I'm very excited. In fact, I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. I am joined by a legend in the industry, Bill Sowell. One of the many reasons why I have such affection for Bill is because, first of all, he's an advisor's advisor. And by that, I mean very humble, organic beginnings, working B2C, working directly with clients, has always had a mindset of stewardship, not salesmanship. Everything was client-centered. And his organic business became a proof of concept, and he started thinking about creating a community of other advisors who could adopt the philosophy and draft in behind the process and the efficiency of what he's built. And uh, I couldn't be more excited to have this conversation. So, Bill, thank you very much for carving out some time for us. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, Duncan. You know, over the years, we've had opportunities to to meet and be together. And it's just always a pleasure visiting with you. And I always, I always enjoy hearing your, your thoughts about the industry. And it's, so I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I appreciate that too. And, you know, it's been such a two-way street because I've learned so much from you and your team. You know, one of the things I respect is that you've never taken your eyes off the roots of what it means to be a financial professional. I think that gives you immense credibility. Could you just take a moment and just tell your story? Give us some backstory around the origins of how you became a financial professional, and then we'll start to connect it from there. Well, you know, looking at where we are today, and I go back all, you know, back 33 years ago, I certainly never imagined that we would be where we are. I wish I could say I was smart enough to have seen the path going forward. But, you know, to me, it, it, it was interesting in, in just uh, getting started in the industry. I started out with IDS, which became American Express, now Ameriprise, and, you know, getting into the business. And they, they had a great training, a great training program, and it really gave me a good way to launch. I had sold a prior business. And so I was looking at, like a lot of us in the industry, it's a second career. So, you know, for me, I was like, all right, well, what do I really want to do? And I'd always had, I always was was intrigued by this, this industry. So it was an opportunity for me to launch in the industry. So 
the, the thing for me was after four years of and having sold a business, so I had a lot of business clients that I was immediately able to bring into my personal practice. But there was after being in it for three or four years, I just felt like, you know, I, there's I just felt like in being an entrepreneur, I felt like there was a better way to do business. Well, a really good friend of mine who ultimately became a partner of mine and a mentor, he managed the largest trust department in the state of Arkansas and everything they did was fee-based. So the more he and I conversed and talked and the more I learned about the fee-based side of the business, it just made a lot more sense. So essentially in 1994, I started setting out my plans of how and when uh, I was going to convert my personal practice to to, to basically to fee-based practice. So in 94, I or actually started in 94, but in 95, I, I went to a regional broker dealer that had a corporate RIA that they were using a little bit, but not really, not really to the full extent of where I wanted to go. So they agreed to let me come on the platform, utilize the corporate RIA, which I did and converted my own personal practice in 95, which I think, as you know, is was was really nobody really even knew about the fee-based business back then. Yeah. So what happened was the the next several years after that, there were advisors at that broker dealer that saw what I was doing and asked me to help them convert their practices to to fee only, which I did. And I and I was managing assets for them as well. So and that my partner, Alan Mendel at the time, unfortunately he's passed away a couple of years ago, but really sharp man, great man. He really gave me the tools and the confidence to, you know, to help me end up really managing the assets that we were and and really an opportunity to move forward. So what we what I did was was managing assets for the advisors, helping them convert over to to fee based, and what I did was created a TAMP. So which wasn't really a thing back then either. So really, I would say around ninety seven is is when we uh, is when I really launched the TAMP portion of the business. Ended up we had advisors that went to other broker dealers. So at the end of the day, I ended up on twenty of the largest independent broker dealers. So LPL, Cambridge, Centaurus, Securities America, you know the the whole list of independents. And that's that's really that's where we started growing the firm. And then as the fee based side of the business or industry started growing, we had advisors from some of those other broker dealers that said, hey, can we just license up underneath your your RIA? They wanted out of the federal world. So we started onboarding advisors and that 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 clicked along you know, pretty well. We were growing. And then there was a pivotal moment for us that in in 2016, there was a, a beleaguered firm in the industry that we took on a bunch of their advisors. So the end of 2016, we were at about we were just under five hundred million dollars. And in four months, we brought in over a billion dollars worth of assets. <laughs> and, you know, growth is a good thing. But there, there's that oh, crap moment where. Now, yeah. what are we going to do? So, you know, what I wasn't going to do was not not be able to support the advisors in a manner that I personally would want to be supported. So we really worked very hard to start building out the platform. And I think the advantage that I had was 
that being an advisor, I knew what I needed to run a successful practice. So we just started building that out. And to me, the, the, the answer was pretty simple. Every time we were looking at doing something, I would just ask myself, well, is that something that's really going to benefit the advisors? And ultimately, is it going to benefit the clients? Because if the answer is no, then we're wasting our time. So so, you know, we started really focusing on building out the platform. Uh, my wife and I funded the company. We've never taken in any, any private equity or any outside money. We've just built it ourselves. And, you know, after that, after we we had that that large, those large group of assets that came on early 17, over the next several years, we brought in another $3 billion. So today we sit just under, I think we're just a hair under $4.5 billion. And I think what's unique is the fact that it is is all organic. We've done no acquisitions. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people that have come in the industry today that, and there, there's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's just a different path. A lot of people have come in and they've they've had, you know, big PE money behind them and they've, you know, they've kind of bought their way into building those assets, mm-hmm. which we haven't done. I do think there's opportunities there on the acquisition side. We just, you know, to this point, that's just not not what we've done. It was it was all organic. And I, I think the key to that is that, you know, we've got all in all total, we've got about 150 advisors that are affiliated with us. There's about 100 and I think, I don't know, probably 115 that are actually licensed underneath us. But then we also have about 22 or 23 RIAs that have their own ADV that affiliate with the platform, just like our IARs do. So we provide all the same services for them. So, you know, it's it, it's to me, it's been exciting just to just to watch it build and grow. Again, I wish I could say I was smart enough way back then to see where the industry would end up. But I love the fact that we were a pioneer in the industry. Yeah. And just to, and it's just exciting to see the whole industry's move in this direction. So it's it's been neat. Well, and I remember some of our early interactions because I love the origins and how the industry has evolved. And you're right, in the 90s, I got started in the 90s and I was talking about attracting new clients, not chasing them. So that whole dynamic between salesmanship and stewardship, and I could see it starting to resonate, but you're right. As soon as the fee-based advisory model started to emerge, and then advisors had to fixate on being fee-worthy. So the clients would focus on what they're worth, not what they cost. And, and the the era of, of transactions started to fade and it became more of a directional relationship. What emerged from that was, first of all, a group of advisors who were far more client-centered and, to your point, more entrepreneurial, more fixated on being a business owner. So it, it was no longer a book of business. It became a business. And with that, not just a fixation on technical ability around wealth management, but also adopting best practices, a mindset of practice management and relationship management. And and that's been so profound. So you were an early adopter. I've I've said to my wife so many times, look, I'm always right eventually. It just sometimes takes a, <laughs> a while for the world to sort of catch up with the vision. But uh you're you're a founding father of the whole stewardship 
environment within the industry. And I respect that immensely. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about that distinction between the consolidator and the methodical organic growth model, because that emphasizes stewardship as well. You know, the old saying, growth is for vanity, profit and progress is for sanity. You've maintained a very calm, zen-like environment within your community, and yet you still grow. And uh, so so was that accidental too, or or you were deliberate about that out of the gate? Well, we've been very deliberate about it. And you one thing I want to touch on real quick too, you you mentioned practice management and you know, we we talk about advisors and their practices and, and a pet peeve of mine, and I've shared this with you before, but and I I tell advisors, well, let's stop calling it a practice because we're not practicing anymore. It, it's a right. business and we need to we need to address this like a business and we need to run it like a business. So but going going back to your to your question. We're in a relationship business and we can talk about technology and everything else all we want. But at the end of the day, it's a relationship business. And and for me to take it a step partner or a step farther, I feel like everybody we deal with is a partner. And that's what I I've always looked for partnerships. And that's whether we can find vendors all day long. But what mm-hmm. I want are partners. And when you think about what do partners do, partners help each other. You know, vendor, you're just buying a service or you're buying a product from somebody. But when it's a partnership, and I'm very, I'm very upfront with any any of the vendors we use that look, yeah, you know, I want to help you as much as you want to help me. So let's let's figure that out. And that's so we've surrounded ourselves with with a bunch of like-minded partners. But first and foremost, whether it's it's our our vendors or our advisors or our end clients, it's it's all about, it's about relationships and it's about culture. And one thing that I was never willing to do was bend our culture. So we wear our culture on our sleeves. It's something that we focus on, you know, internally, we hire people based on our core values. Everything we do, we look at, all right, well, does that fit within our core values? And to me, it's it, it, that was very intentional because from a growth perspective, my biggest concern was is that we would we would outgrow our culture, and mm-hmm. and I just wasn't willing to do that. So, I've just I've I've you know I've implanted everything that we can as a firm. I feel that allows us not only as we hire and bring people into the firm, but also and you know when we're talking to advisors about joining our firm, we're interviewing them as much as they are mm-hmm. us because I want to make sure at the end of the day if the culture is not a good fit, it's it's just not going to work at some point, and it's it's just too much work. So. Well, it's interesting. Your point about the practice, uh, I noticed in the 90s that a lot of advisors to achieve professional contrast and to differentiate themselves from brokers, transactional hunter-gatherers who would eat what they kill, they started calling it a practice just to sort of elevate and, and try to engineer a higher degree of respect and appreciation. But you're right. It's it's no longer a practice. There are best practices. There are standard operating procedures that come from running a business like a business. But no, that's that's a very good distinction. Now, one of the 
sweet spots that you've managed to land in. And this is what I think anybody who's thinking in terms of scaling up and growing over the next five to 10 years is finding that balance between the proverbial Wall Street, Main Street dynamic. So the Wall Street in terms of technical ability, using technology, creating consistency, and then Main Street, never forgetting that you're managing relationships, managing people, and especially now with the world getting so noisy and distorted. Uh, when did that really kick off for you guys where you said, okay, we're going to stay in that sweet spot? Yeah. Well, it, and that's, you know, as we grew, you know, early on in a business, and I don't think it matters what business you're in. I mean, you're just looking for clients. You're looking for business. So early right. on, we probably brought in, no, actually not probably, we brought on some advisors back then that, that really weren't good fits for us, but we, we brought them in. And then, we you know, as we really started to grow, and with a clear focus on maintaining our culture, that's when I, I took a step back and, and just told our team, look, we really need to start making sure that, that you know, we're bringing in the right people. You know, it's a lot of work to bring an advisor in his business onto a platform. And yeah. we, we want to make sure it's, it's a good fit. So we've been very, very intentional about that. You know, it's, it's a lot of work, but I do think that there's, a benefit to us. I mean, we're in Little Rock, Arkansas. So, I mean, it's it's not like we're in the financial hub of of the United States. But what I can tell you is there there's a lot of people that are attracted to the fact that you know what 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 we like to say is we're kind of in the in the the concurrence of the you know the Midwest and the Southeast with a Southern flair. And I think people I think people like that because. I think there's a, I think there's an inherent just trust factor. And mm -hmm. I think there's just an attraction about, about our location. So we're proud of it. And, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's been an attraction. Matter of fact, we brought a, brought a really great advisor, very successful practice on from South Florida here a few months back. And he said, once we really started getting in the conversations with him, he said, you know, if you guys were in New York, I would have never talked to you. And that's not mm -hmm. bashing New York or any place else. <laughs> but the fact that we were in Little Rock, Arkansas, that was when he said, I need to go. I need to go meet these guys. So. Well, it's interesting because there is a du duality, uh, the mindset that says how you start a relationship ultimately determines how it's going to unfold. That applies B to C between a financial professional and their individual clients having a fit process where the values bought, not sold. It's not the advisor convincing uh, the person to become a client. It's everybody recognizing the alignment of interests and buying in. Well, the same applies in a B to B dynamic. And it's, it's really fascinating, Bill, because I was talking to uh, a team that is scaling up, they're between a billion and two billion, and they want to be a $5 billion enterprise. And they're going to do it through attracting other advisors to draft in behind their process. And I said to them, are you a $5 billion team currently at one point, whatever it was? And there was a bit of a pause and, you know, they said, well, what do you mean? I'd like to think so. Like zero to 1.5, that's hard. 1.5 to five, 
it's less hard if the mindset and the philosophy is that it's not about who we're looking for in terms of advisors to adopt and deploy our process. It's who are we suited for? And I think you've stayed there and, you know, your point about the team from South Florida, what do they trust about your firm? They trust the authenticity of the team that you've assembled, but they also trust the fact that you've got some significant mileage. Uh, You're not just new and emerging. You've been around and they trust that you have methodically shaped an environment where somebody can be in business for themselves, but not by themselves. You've got scale, but you're going to let them be an entrepreneur, let them be a business owner and and liberate them to, you know, move aside from some of the minutiae and just become the best version of themselves. I, I think that is spectacular. Well, you know, we have three principles that we basically work off of, you know, especially in relation to bringing advisors in, you know, and it's it's freedom, growth and partnership. And that freedom comes in. First of all, advisors are they're fiercely independent. And if if you you know, as an advisor myself, I didn't want somebody telling me how to run my business. Mm -hmm. I didn't mind listening and learning from people. And, and figuring out, well, if I, does that fit in my practice? But advisors don't want to be told how to run their, their business. So, you know, we, we're very consultative when we, when we sit down and talk to an advisor, we consult with them to find out what are you trying to accomplish? How are, you know, what, what, what's your niche? What are you doing? But we really want to learn about what they're doing, how they're doing it, what's made them successful, you know, how can we help them build and grow? I mean, that's, for us, it's all about the journey. It's how, you know, we're going to meet them where they are and help them get where they want to go. So it literally is about the journey. So, you know, so giving them the freedom to run their business, obviously we're in a regulatory environment, so everybody has to stay in the lanes, but we're not going to dictate them how to run their business. And then we're going to figure out how to support them. So, you know, that's the freedom aspect of it. And then we, what we really want are growth minded advisors, you know, who Mm -hmm. advisors that are really looking, they're looking for help to figure out how can we scale and grow? We've already built the infrastructure. We've built the machine. We've taken everything out of their way that would prevent them from, from building and growing. So if that's truly what they want to do, we can put them on a path. And we've got many, many stories of, of people that we've really helped do that. To me, that's what's exciting is really, you know, seeing, looking at, you know, looking back a few years at an advisor and where they started and where they are today, man, I mean, you talk about that. That's, that's really exciting, you know, and then the partnership aspect of it, we're looking mm-hmm. for partners. Um, and it's it's I talked about it earlier, whether it's a vendor or an advisor, you know, we're looking for partners. We want to partner with them. We get to know our advisors. We know their we know their families. We know their pets names. We, I mean, we it's it's relationships. So all of our people are really, really good at developing those relationships and where we truly form partnerships. And we're certainly not perfect. We'll make mistakes here and there. But when we do, we own them. We fix them. We tell the advisor, here's how we're fixing it. 
But what it's created is an environment, not only within our firm internally, but with all of our advisor partners, it's, it's, there's, there's just trust there and they, they trust us. We trust them and we work together. And, and it's the same with our vendors. We've got great vendor relationships um, and they truly are partners and, and we watch out for them as much as they watch out for us. So I think when you add all that up, it's really, that's what's really created the culture that's allowed us to continue to build and grow. Well, freedom, growth, and partnership, that's a great all-encompassing mantra and code of conduct. And the key to your point is as you grow is to don't stray, don't deviate from that. You know, I have to say, I had a bit of a flashback. When I was 17, my dad gave me a copy of the book, See You at the Top by Zig Ziglar, Mm -hmm. who, if I remember correctly, might have been from originally from Arkansas or Tennessee. I can't remember, but it rings a bell. But the first thing that struck me was his statement where he said, you can get everything you want in your life if you'll help enough other people get what they want. And that led me to understand the law of reciprocity and how giving activates the receiving process. It becomes this collaborative, creative environment and culture. And if you if you stay true to that as you grow, you know, you talk about vendors, Bill. Uh, I've been traveling extensively with First Trust, and I get to interact with their wholesaling team, which is just world-class, but massive. Like there's well over 200 wholesalers. But you know one of the commonalities? Whether I'm in Toronto, whether I'm in South Carolina, or whether I'm in Southern California, all of the wholesalers talk about their interactions with Jim Bowen. They'll say, I was at a, you know, we're at a a year-end meeting or we're at a, you know, mid-year meeting and I was talking to Jim Bowen and I'm thinking, okay, this is a CEO that runs a colossal enterprise, one of the most respected in the business, and he is not gotten to a point where he feels like he's outgrown the need to have a relationship with the massive team that he's and his team has put together. That's profound. And I think there are a lot of firms that have lost touch of that. They're so fixated on growth that they forgot forget about that relationship management. And a byproduct of that culture is you got these massive firms uh, and, and it's almost like a collection of just employees. It's not a community of business owners and entrepreneurs. And the safety net of that strength of firm becomes a bit of a hammock of complacency where they start to, you know, back off a little bit. I, I, I think there's a lesson in there is never lose sight of the fact that you're not just managing money, you're managing a business. And you're managing people, no matter how big this gets. Couldn't agree more. And at the end of the day, if if any of us in this business ever lose sight about what we're doing, and that is managing assets and taking care of people's lives, 
That's a huge responsibility. So, and that's something that, you know, I've always taken very personal and, and, and stayed very focused on and making sure that again, everything we do is, you know, is, is, you know, is it, is it right for the, for the end client? But, you know, it's, one of the things that I did, it, you know, kind of going back to what you were just talking about is, and I'll use a good example. Daryl Seaton is the president of our of our company. So Daryl was very high up at New York Life. He ran, he ran, uh, he was one of the largest branches for New York Life up in Northern California. And he ended up leaving and, and uh, he wanted to go independent. And he started, he, he got off in this business affiliated with a, with a regional broker dealer down in Texas. And we met him and he, he, he had no assets because when he left New York life, I mean, he couldn't take anything. So he literally, mm-hmm. when we met him, he had zero and here's a guy from Northern California. We, and we, we connected, really connected very well. He's very, very relational. Well, he came on board as an advisor he was very successful in building his practice. He, we, he outsourced everything to us. So we, I mean, we were, we did everything for him. And he had told us up front at some point, he would love to have his own RIA. And we said, great, when you get to that point, we'll help you establish your own RIA and we'll continue to support you. So he finally hit a point and he said, all right, I'm ready. He set up his own RIA. And a couple of years later, we were chatting. He said, he said, why, why didn't you kick my butt and tell me it was the dumbest thing I was ever going to do? <laughs> because what he realized was now all of a sudden he was, he, you know, as having his own RA, there was a lot of things that, that as an IAR, he didn't have to deal with because we did it for him. Well, now as an RA, long story short, he, I ended up buying his RIA and, and he brought him in. I worked on him for about a three-year period. Uh, he's a great guy. And I knew he was a perfect fit for my firm from a cultural s- standpoint and everything else. So I ended up bringing him in as our as our chief operating officer. We've since then promoted him to president. But the whole reason, not the whole reason, he's a great guy. That's number one. But I'm a, I'm a good entrepreneur. I'm good at building things. I'm a good visionary. But I knew the one thing that I felt like I was really lacking was he has a very unique ability to just really develop deep relationships. He's very organized. So we, and this is not an EOS commercial, but EOS worldwide, mm-hmm. we, we adopted about six, probably six years ago. And it has been absolutely instrumental in, and giving me the business tools to help us really plot out and know how to grow the business. It's been, I mean, it's been an incredible asset for us, but I knew Daryl could take what we had done with EOS to a whole nother level. And he's done that. So, you know, I give a lot of credit, you know, from, from a growth perspective, when I look at us maintaining our culture, which I spoke earlier about how important that, that was to me, I knew that he could do a better job than I could. So really what I've done is I've surrounded myself with some really, really sharp people. When you look at not only our leadership team, but our whole team as a whole, it's phenomenal. I mean, we've got great people. And in turn, they turn around and do great things for our advisors and help our advisors do great things for their clients. So the whole ecosystem has been, it's been a real pleasure for me to not only be a part of, but, you know, I, I did learn early on, early on too, that, 
you, I can't do everything. So I have yeah. to surround myself with some really good, sharp people. And I think we've done a, done a, a really a, an exceptional job in doing that. And it's been, it's, it's just been fun to watch. You know, when we talk about the growth of the industry as a whole, I just, there's so much business out there for all of us. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like we have competitors. I, 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 I mean, I've got a lot of friends that are with our, our competitors, but, and we all, we all get together and share ideas and thoughts because at the end of the day, there's so much business out there that uh, what's important to me is to make sure that what we're doing on this side of the, on the, the financial services industry is the right thing for the client. And I don't think we're even at first base when you look at the growth of this side of the business. So if we can all come together and help each other and just do business the right way, that's what's important to me. And I've there's a lot of people that I've helped mentor and, and met with that weren't, weren't even on our platform or weren't coming to our platform that I've spent the time to help and guide them. Because to me, it's it's that, you know, that's just, it's, I, it's just really exciting just to see what's happening in this business. Well, you're right. First of all, the pie is massive and continues to grow. Back to your point about EOS, I hear nothing but good things about that solution. What's amazing about that, especially from somebody who has come from, you know, client one, and then advisor one, and then methodically grown it is that shift where it's not the bill show. In fact, I'm going to depersonalize the business as much as I can. So people aren't just fixated on me and they're going to buy into the bench strength of the people that we have. We're going to buy in to what makes us different in terms of our client experience and our best practices. And we're going to buy into the process that is proprietary to the firm. That that liberates you to go further up market, to become a thought leader, uh, an ambassador for the firm, and just be able to look down like a CEO and say, okay, are we staying true to our philosophy and our, our culture? I, I will tell you something else. You had an impact on me a while back, and you probably don't know this. But I remember a while back you were you you said something to me you 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 uttered the phrase the heart of the advisor never lose sight of what it means to have the heart of an advisor and how that impacted me I was talking to a client of ours who is starting to attract other advisors into his environment and the first one went well Proof of concept, we documented and standardized it. Number two, brought on the second advisor. And in our conversation, he was so fixated on the mechanics of that transition and and the quantitative and how much, you know, of a vein of gold there was going to be of untapped opportunity within that. And I was listening to him and I said, I could sense that he was starting to to drift a little bit from his core. And I just said to him, I said, you got to hang on for a second. This advisor understands that you can liberate him to be the best version of himself. And that's great. But that advisor's got a hundred clients with hopes and dreams and aspirations 
I want you to put a real emphasis on what it means for you and that advisor to transition those clients into your environment and rejuvenate them and reframe them and get them excited about the relationship. You, you, you did that. You, you had that impact on me and that advisor. And it led to a very good conversation to the point where the advisor, my, our client said, thank you. You're right. I can't lose sight of this. These are a hundred families that are coming into our community. So, so I'd like, I'd like to hear a little bit about the origins of the, the heart of the advisor and, and, and where that came from and why that's such a big part of uh, your culture. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, it truly is that that's, that's who I am. I, it's, and I do have a heart and a passion for clients and, uh, I, you know, I, I still have clients today. I still bring new clients in. And even though, you know, we've got, we've got a big business to run, it's still at the end of the day, that is my passion. And I mean, people in the firm, they've seen me tear up talking about some of my client relationships. I mean, it is, mm. I, I can't think of anything more rewarding than you know, starting, I mean, I've got clients I've had for 30 years and to see where some of them started and to where they are today, it just, there's just something magical about having that, that trust in that relationship. And you talk about a huge responsibility, you know, when you're, I mean, that's a big deal. And, you know, I have some really large clients. I love, I love all my clients. There's great relationships but I have to say some of the most rewarding ones, and there's one couple in particular, love them dearly. They pretty much came from nothing. I mean, they, and I started working with them and, you know, as they, it, it, you know, I mean, humble beginnings and we kept working and working and about a year ago, and their goal was that they had n- number of goals, but from a monetary standpoint, their goal was, could we ever become a millionaire? So the day their accounts topped a million dollars, we had them come into the office and it was, it was, I, it almost come to tears thinking about it. But the, the first thing she said was, you mean I can go buy a new pair of socks? And we just died laughing. It's like, yes, you can go buy some new socks. But the point being, I don't care what somebody has. If you've only got $25,000 or $25 million, what you have is important to you. And so I feel like as a financial advisor, my responsibility is if somebody wants help, I'm going to help them. I mean, that that just so it truly does. But that's what's in my heart. And that's really that's, I think, what's helped us be successful and help us build and grow. To position yourself as a subject matter expert while efficiently creating professional contrast in the eyes of your prospective clients, strategic partners, and ideal clients, deploy a podcasting initiative using the turnkey process developed by Proudmouth. Learn more at Proudmouth.com. The best place to strengthen a client relationship is in the very place where you manage that relationship 
bluesquaretoolkit.com has harnessed the best practices of Pareto systems and brought them to life in our easy to use system that is accessible on both your phone and your desktop. Simple technology to uncomplicate your life by creating clarity, accountability, and consistency for your entire team. Build stronger client relationships by tracking and archiving essential information on what matters in your client's life and make yourself indispensable and more referable in the process. Create a more consistent client experience and grow your business with the Blue Square Toolkit. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14-day free trial today. You know, <laughs> I love those stories and I love it when an advisor will really open up and bear his or her soul to me about the significance of their relevance in people's lives. I love first-generation, self-made affluence. It's pure. Uh, it's earned. But then you you know you look into developing unmet needs, the responsibility around making sure first generation self-made affluence, it's more than just a number. When it goes into motion and becomes second generation and someone becomes suddenly affluent, that's big. And uh, I'm curious because I'm I'm asking advisors, make yourself indispensable to a family by getting out in front of this evolving issue around intergenerational wealth, continuity and secession, dynastic issues. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Have you adopted some best practices? Have you have you built that in? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, and it, it I also feel like it is a responsibility as a steward of a family's wealth that we address the issues. And, you know, another thing that I talk to advisors about, some advisors like to hear themselves talk. And my advice is to them is always, you know, ask a question and then shut up and listen. And if you ask the right questions, clients will tell you everything you need to do to help them. But I think sometimes advisors are so busy just just talking and trying to impress people about how much they know. And to me, that that's not it. That people want to they want to know that you care and that you you're you have compassion for them. And so that's what I've always tried to show. And but I think when you you know, when you when you ask people questions and you take the time to truly listen and then you and then you follow up with more questions, you can get all the information you need. And especially when it comes to intergenerational transfer, you know, it's across the map I mean, about how people want to handle that. And so you really have to have a good understanding of what they're wanting to accomplish and how they're wanting to accomplish it to put a plan in place to actually help them. But we would be doing a disservice by not having that conversation and 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 then developing a relationship, you know, with the the second generation and even down from there to you know to to help them because 
especially growing growing up with the first generation and knowing what they went through to get there, then to me, it's just as much a responsibility to make sure that the other family members understand what they went through and then how to accept that responsibility. And it doesn't always work, but I do think most of the time, you know, once you've developed those those relationships, there's there's a certain amount of respect that comes with it. And what I have found is, you know, it's it's very, very open conversation going to the next generation. So, but I, I think it's, it is very important, especially, you know, I'm part of the baby boom generation and you see where we are, you know, in a, in a life cycle from one generation to the next. And I think we all, all in this business know what those numbers look like. So interesting. Recently, I had a conversation with an advisor about articulating value. And I said, look, you're a really solid compelling messenger but your messaging is you're doing yourself a disservice the way you represent your value and i said he said to me he said what do you mean like he actually got a little defensive understandably and i said you put so much emphasis on what you do i want you to put an equal amount of emphasis on what it is your clients want and how you get them there. This is so important. He started, it was, it was such a meaningful interaction. And, and he's come back to me now because to your point about not trying to impress a client, but impress upon them. Like, I'm interested in you. I want to know what matters to you. He started to share with me some of the questions he's asking. And he says, one of the questions that gets a prospective client to really open up to me, I can feel the energy changing in the room, is when he says this, he goes, you know, part of what gives me fulfillment as a financial professional is to help a client look to the future with anticipation instead of apprehension. So I'm curious, what keeps you up at night? And he stops. He just leaves that. And and so you think about this, a prospective client that he's literally been talking to for 15 or 20 minutes. Sure, they've been introduced by somebody, could have been an accountant, could have been another client. So there's some familiarity in developing trust. But they've literally started a relationship that's been going on for 15 or 20 minutes. And he positions it that way. He says, they open up to me like a flower in the sun. Yep. I don't interrupt them. I let them talk. But when they start talking about their kids or even grandkids, perhaps a, a you know a child with special needs, or whatever the family dynamic might be, or or whatever their unmet needs are regarding their business, you know, cans that they've been kicking down the road. When when he understands what they want. It's a lot easier for him now to get a client to appreciate how the advisor addresses and gets that client or prospective client to what they want. That diagnostic, that mindset of being interested, not trying to be interesting, is so profound. And, and it's clearly something you embody. Well... 
we, you know, when you think about this industry and how it's evolved, and we all we all embrace technology. Technology is fantastic. I mean, we it, it's allowed us. You know, we spend a lot of time and a lot of money on technology, and it certainly helps us help our advisors to work much more efficiently and accurately. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is about relationships, and it's about building trust. And and absent of of trust in, in a solid relationship. Then you have to, you've got to step back and go, well, what do we really have? So it, you know, it really does, you know, and that's like when the robos first started rolling out and people were all like, oh my God, you know, what are we going to do? Robo's coming. And, you know, and everybody I talked to, I was like, what's robo going to do if, if somebody's spouse has cancer and is dying or, or if, you know, in an emergency, so, you know, as an advisor, we're not going anywhere. We can utilize robos to, in some cases, to help us in our practice. But, but, and that's what I love about the fee-based world because it allows us to be truly fiduciaries, and and you know, it allows you to to you know build a client base and be fairly compensated to to have relationships with, with people you care about, as opposed to the old transactional world where, you know, buying stocks and sitting on them is not going to help me make a boat payment. Well, you know, to me, that's what I really didn't like about that side of the business mm. and what I love about the the advisory, you know, the true being a true fiduciary and, and you know, and just being able to develop those deep relationships with clients. Well, and that's the, again, part of the sweet spot is high tech is not designed to replace anything aside from enabling us to go deeper into high touch. There's this fascinating study, Jevons Paradox, that says often a solution to a problem can create more problems or different problems. And those that have relied solely on technology are actually painting themselves into a commoditized corner. The point of technology and efficiency is to enable us to fill an unmet need. The more technology creeps into our lives, the more the human touch matters. That's, you, you think about belonging, you think about just being in good hands, that safe harbor. With everything that's going on in the world right now, Bill, the noise, the distortions, people want to know, I'm going to be okay. That's not because of the technology. It's because of the relationship. Well, you know, it's it, it really, when you think about what you were just saying and what you're talking about, that's really what our entire platform is about, is we've built out all the tools. All we're looking for is advisors who want to focus on their clients where and we put them in a position where we'll, we can do everything in their practice where all they have to do is is focus on working with their clients and building their business that's and so but it takes it, it, it takes somebody to understand the value of outsourcing. And there are some mm -hmm. advisors that are they're so concerned about spending a penny here or spending a penny there that they lose sight about how much time they're spending doing a lot of this stuff. And for every every minute they take away from the true reason of why they're in business 
that's it's it's at the end of the day it's costing them money but some people you, you just it's you try to guide them and they don't get it and you know so you know we're we truly look for people that value outsourcing and the key to that is that it does allow an advisor to do exactly what we're talking about and that's focus on the end client which that's why you're in business well, the teams that we work with that are actually going B2B and attracting advisors, their fit process with a prospective advisor, not to oversimplify it, but it does involve that where they simply say, okay, what is it you love to do? Like, what is the best part of your role as a financial professional? And what specifically do you not like? What is it that really bothers you and bogs you down? The bog down part is generally the minutia the hassle factor, compliance issues, and and things that they don't have scale on. It just bogs them down. The things they love to do is face-to-face with a client that's a good fit. So the ultimate corporate environment is liberating the advisor to do what they love to do, putting more sand in their hourglass, giving them the gift of time and ensuring that their business serves their life, not the other way around. And uh, I'm pretty confident that uh, you and your team have managed to uh, build that out. Yeah. You just did a great job. So do you need a job? (laughs) (laughs) You, you just told our story essentially. And that, that is what it's about. And, and, you know, going back to our whole conversation, it is all about the end client at the end of the day, you know, positioning ourselves to do the best job we can for our clients. And again, it's, it's just really exciting to, to see where we are as an industry and to be able to, you know, I look at in my career and the relationships I've developed, you're a perfect example. I think I met you the first time in the mid nineties. And yeah. I remember going back, you know, thinking back then and, you know, over the times that we've had conversations and I've always had a, just a, a, a huge amount of respect for you and, and especially, you know, how you engage with other advisors. And then it's nice to see people like you in the industry as well, who can help those of us that are, you know, that are, you know, that, that are in the trenches working with advisors and clients, but to have people and resources like yourself to, you know, to ultimately help us do a better job for our clients. So, you know, I think sometimes there's people in the industry that I think, do somewhat like what you do that are focused on helping people learn how to sell. And, but one of the things I've always liked about you is it's about helping advisors do a better job for their clients. And that that's really, that's what I've always respected about you and why I always, you know, we can have a conversation just like we're doing now. And it's just, it's an easy conversation. So I, I do, I, I respect that and appreciate that. And I've, well, that goes both ways, and I, I do appreciate that. I, I am going to do a little bit of a shameless plug here back to the whole fit process because, again, not our, not long ago, I had a very nice interaction with a team that is hoping to become where you are, and we were talking about their advisor fit process, and I asked them to flip it because they were focusing so much on the economics. And I said, don't lead with that. And so I gave him our little acronym, uh, PSP. I said, how you establish a fit with an advisor who's going to adopt and deploy 
your process and draft in behind your efficiency, it's got to be philosophical, strategic, and practical. Philosophical is you see the world the same way. You'll look forward to talking to each other. It won't feel like work. And when you're not in the office and you're out having a burger or playing pickleball, it'll be pleasant. Philosophical alignment. Strategic alignment. How does the client win? How does the client benefit? How do you position this so that they perceive this as an upgrade to their client experience? Practical. Have it cascade down to the economics. And, and that approach requires patience. I, I want advisors to be at peace with the outcomes, not have a sense of urgency, just feel good about what they're building, and then just have faith in cause and effect that good activity will lead to productivity. And, you know, I, I do have very fond recollections about our early interactions because you just know when you're in an environment with somebody who sees the world the same way and they're they're not in a panic to get things done. They're just going to let this thing build slowly, gradually, and incrementally. So, so that's great. But I did want to ask you this. As you emerge in this industry as a thought leader, what's next for you? What what does the next five to 10 years look like for you? Well, that's when I look at a lot of the things that I've done, I do believe what I have done is a really good job of positioning this firm to continue on and as as and that's my my legacy. So I do have two children in the business, um, which yeah, I had uh I'm part of a CEO group, and in my CEO group, there were some that went in family businesses. Some of them turned out really well, some of them didn't. Mm -hmm. So I heard all sorts of stories about, you know, well, so neither one of my children came out of college wanting to go in this business. It just kind of happened. So my daughter was a journalism major and and she went on some interviews, didn't really find anything she liked. And we had grown to a point where we have a data and technology team. And so I told her, I said, well, Abby, I, I know you're, I know you're really not interested in financial services, but I know how good you are with technology. We have an open position. So to her credit, she came in, did a great job. She was doing all of our data reconciliation on accounts. And, and after about a year and a half, maybe two years, she came to me one day and she said, you know, I really enjoy what I do, but I really don't understand how it helps advisors. Mm. So she said, I'd like to go on our advisor solutions team, which, I mean, that's that's not an easy job. That's it. That's the heartbeat of this firm. And that's where the relationships with the advisors really happen. And so she jumped over to advisor solutions. Now she's responsible for all of our transitions. So anytime an advisor joins the firm, her responsibility is transition all the clients. And she knows and recognizes that. You know what? If it's a good transition, that's great. But if it's bad, we've started off on the wrong foot. So going back to your question, you know, both of my children, Evan's on our business development team, they came to work and they knew the kiss of death for them would be to act entitled. And to their mm -hmm. credit, they both worked their butts off to earn the the respect from all their peers of not being entitled. And they both do a really, really good job. So going back to your question, 
I feel like what I have done is uh, between uh, Daryl Seaton, who's president of the firm, Jason Inglis is our chief revenue officer. They're both veterans in the industry. They both get, they, they understand the industry. They know what, they understand what we're doing. So I've positioned them to be able to carry this firm on. And I think probably do a better job than I've done to carry this firm on. And they both know their responsibility too, is to bring other people up within the firm, my children included, that if they want to continue to build and grow. And by the time Jason and Daryl hit a point that they're ready to retire, uh, that's about when my children, if they stick with it, should be in a position to carry on. If they want to, that's great. But it goes to the point. So my goal is, as long as I feel like I can, can be a benefit to this firm and be a benefit to our advisors, I'll stay on board. Unfortunately, I can take the time to go do things that I want to do. My wife's in the business as well. So it truly is a, it's a family business, but we have the time to do things, but we've positioned ourselves that if something, literally, if something happened to me tomorrow, I'm completely confident this firm would continue on and not miss a heartbeat. So I do think I've done a a good job of of planning that and which I think it just kind of goes into the, I mean, that's, that as a financial planner, we help people do it, do it all the time. So I've, I've put that practice in, you know, in place for myself. Well, and there, there's just some things in life you cannot learn in a simulator. You need to develop and refine it in real time in the real world. And that gives you immense credibility because one of the most significant developing needs in the marketplace with first-generation self-made affluence is the whole dynamic of continuity and secession and avoiding any sense of entitlement. And this is a very, I want to make a connection here because you, you use the word positioning almost as often as I do. And it's so important. Pitching is emphasizing what I do. Positioning is emphasizing what you want and how I will help you get what you want. And I keep reminding people, what do people want? What do your clients want? What do your advisors want? What does your team want? They want liberation and order. Liberation to become the best version of themselves. Self-actualization. To have meaning and purpose. That's liberation. Order. You don't wing it. You've got this, right? If I'm a client of yours, Bill, I want you to liberate me to go live my life and not worry because I know you've got a process. You you have order, and I can trust that. I don't need to know everything you know, but I do need to know that you know and you've got this. If everybody can just step back and expand their thinking about the significance of their impact and providing liberation and order to everybody they interact with, I'm so excited about where this industry is going and the renaissance that we're going to see especially in the next five to 10 years as this money does go into motion. And, you know, I'm just so grateful to have uh, an interaction with the likes of you and your team because, and I've said this to you before, 
I get more out of our interactions than I think you do. Uh, I'm always crowdsourcing and uh, you, you force me to think. Uh, I'm impressed with the creativity. Uh, your bench strength is incredible. And uh, I know in terms of a legacy, as the advisor's advisor, there are many advisors that are going to benefit from having interacted with you. So I just want to say thank you very much. Closing comments? No, again, I really appreciate you. I appreciate our relationship over the years. And, you know, if anybody takes anything away from our conversation today, what I would hope they would take is that is is I do love this industry. It's been great for me. It's been great for, for my family. It's been great for, for our clients, which are our advisors and their clients. And it, it's, you know, so it truly is a passion. So, you know, I just, I hope that as we continue down our path, that we can influence and encourage other people to do the same things that we've done. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's impactful. So it's, it's a wonderful position to be in, to know that when you're able to step back and look at all the people that you've been able to help. And for me, it's looking at the advisors and then the clients and whether they're my, my clients or their clients, it's just, it's wonderful business. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I'm just going to close with another shameless plug. So in the Blue Square Method, you see that we've highlighted the cue. And that's just to remind everybody about that balance between the quantitative and the qualitative. Because this is such a unique industry in that it's not just that we can earn and how much we can make. It's what it makes of us. The impact we have on others and what it reveals in us and who we become because of the relationships that we've established. There's, there, I don't think there's an industry that has enabled more people to achieve both the quantitative and the qualitative. And you personify that. And uh, I love these interactions. So, Bill, how can somebody uh, connect with you if they want to learn more? Well, they're certainly wel welcome to reach out to me directly. My email is bill at sowlmanagement.com. There are business development team either way. Uh, info at sowlmanagement.com goes directly to our business development team. But any questions or anything anybody has or would like, certainly, certainly open to having conversations and helping people. Yeah, terrific. And yeah, I can validate that for sure. Okay, Bill, thank you very much and uh, look forward to crossing paths with you sometime down the road. Yes, sir. Thanks, Duncan. Take care, buddy. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit proudmouth.com to learn more.